He is immortal. Born in the highlands of Scotland 400 years ago, he is not alone. There are others like him, some good, some evil. For centuries, he has battled the forces of darkness, with holy ground his only refuge. He cannot die unless you take his head and with it his power. In the end, there can be only one. He is Duncan MacLeod, the Highlander. Welcome to Highlander Rewatch, the podcast where each and every week we look at another part of the Highlander universe. I'm one of your rewatchers, Keith. We're back, baby. (laughs) (laughs) This is Kyle, excited to be back doing the series after a long stint with the movies. Mm. This is Eamon. We're back with season two, baby. Welcome, Kyle and Eamon. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm super pumped about season two. So, uh, just a little like reintroduction to your rewatchers. Um, we've been doing this podcast for I don't know six months now. Uh, about right. Yeah, it's been a while. So it's been a while. Uh, <laughs> uh, so if you haven't heard our other podcasts, uh, feel free to go back. They are all available for free on SoundCloud. You can just subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Um, we've got every single episode of the first season up. And we also did a seven-episode retrospective on the Highlander motion picture. Uh, plus, there's some cool interviews with David Abramowitz, one of the executive producers. We wanted to kick off the show with an ultimate piece of reader mail. That's right, this reader mail actually comes from David Abramowitz as a follow-up to our interview with him that we conducted last season. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to the interview, make sure to go back and check it out. But uh, David uh, wrote us an email the other day, and he said... I didn't mention what a brilliant piece of casting Adrian was. He was perfect for the part. Please let your fans know that if you can. Uh, And this, I guess, was in reference to what made the Highlander show so special. Uh, and of course, yes, we agree. Adrian was is a great and crucial part of the Highlander series mythology. Yeah, That's inseparable right. from what makes it so good. Yeah. So thank you again, David, for sending that in. And it was, of course, a pleasure to talk to you. And we can't wait to talk to you again soon. I guess uh, the best way to do this is just jump right into season two, right? That's yeah, right. absolutely. Which... If you if you remember Highlander, you know that this is when the show starts to really get good. Yeah. yeah. And I think we kick it off with a pretty good example of that. Yeah, so yeah. actually, the, the last episode was left off on a, a cliffhanger. So we right. should just maybe give a little recap of what happened last time. So uh, Duncan was in Paris. He met up with his friend Fitz. And uh, Darius, their good friend, was murdered in a church, which is not allowed by immortals. He was killed by a group called the Hunters, and they were hunting down um, immortals, and uh, they kidnapped Fitz. And anyway, so Darius died, and I guess we are now wondering what's going to happen next, and who was this group of people? We know they're part of some organization. That's right. That's the the very brief synopsis of the season one cliffhanger. Yeah, if you need a punishingly exhaustive look at what happened in season (laughs) one, just go back and listen to our earlier episodes. We'd love it if you did. Right. That's right. So, uh, this is episode one of season two, The Watchers, episode 93201-23, if you want to get real nerdy and technical which we won't that might be the last time i give that number (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm stocking that away for a rainy day (laughs) yes you are is that the same as the zip code that they look for we're gonna talk about the zip code (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, so this episode first aired on September 27th, 1993. And I just want to mm. note, that's a Monday. Uh, so the date has changed that these episodes are airing. This used to be a Saturday afternoon show. Interesting. And now it's a Monday, so... So you're telling me Garfield didn't watch this episode. I guess not. He mm. hated anything to do with Mondays. Bummer. Even Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they got hip to the fact that a show about decapitations with a bunch of side boob in it probably shouldn't be on Saturday afternoons. But I don't really know. Yeah, right hmm. after cartoons. Just yeah. follow that right up. Right after Garfield, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this episode was directed by Clay, Clay Morris? Morris. Yes, yeah. I said Morris. Boris. Uh, he's a Canadian director, and this mm. was his first of eight episodes of Highlander that he directed. Mm. Um, he also did uh, some of the Forever Night Show, which we brought up, and yeah. a lot of Facebook people have mentioned that to us, yeah. that it's another Vancouver-based show that has very similar tones to Highlander. I also have that he did an episode of Rin Tin Tin Canine Cop, which yes. we've talked about. Yes, nice. he did. Yeah. No secret how that dog fights crime. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the Hardy Boys. Ooh. Get Hardy Boys. Hardy uh, there. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, writer, yeah, oh, the writer of this episode was Marie Chantel Droney. We know her, of course. Yeah. Um, we, she is the presumed wife of Kevin Droney. That's right. Uh, one of the producers. Um, and this is the last episode she wrote of Highlander. She only did Bummer. a total of four. Um, she did Mountain Men, Band of Brothers, yes. Beast Below, and The Watchers. And so she has a good track record. Three out of four ain't bad. Yeah. yeah right? <laughs> I have to assume she didn't write that song in I really the hope Beast not. Below. Oh, my God. I don't know. Guys, can you tell me how many days are in a year? Nope. <laughs> I wish there was a song that would tell me that. <laughs> but how many years in a century? I don't. I don't know. I wish there was a song. I only learn things by song. Yeah, just musically. Yeah, yeah. I have a musical mind. <laughs> so uh, this uh, episode, uh, we've got some guest stars. Uh, the hmm. first would be we'll call him a guest star, but it's really a, a new addition to the show. Jim Burns is on. Uh, yeah, uh, becomes a real steady, rock solid component of this show moving forward. Yeah. Right, he plays Jim Joe, Jim Dawson, Joe Dawson, Joe Dawson. Uh, Jim Dogs. Yeah. So he's a blues guitarist, and he's worked uh, in the industry for a long time. A huge yeah. voice acting career. Yeah. Um, I remember years ago when I found out he did the the, the voice work on Transformers Beast Wars. Yeah, nice. which was awesome. He was um, Inferno the Ant. Uh, so go on YouTube, look up a clip of Inferno. Uh, from Beast Wars, and just imagine Joe Dawson because this voice is crazy. It's clearly Jim Burns, like screaming like, all the time. <laughs> it's awesome. He also he did Nick Fury on X Men Evolution. Uh, I'm an anime fan. He was in Gundam Wing Endless Waltz, the oh, like yeah. OVA Gundam Wing movie. Wow. If anybody watched Toonami, um, so I thought that was pretty cool. Awesome. Uh, he was also yeah. in Sonic the Hedgehog, the cartoon. Yeah. Which I remember watching a Which lot. Which one? Yeah. The good one. Like, the good one. No, the one that was like dark and The one gritty. that was weird. Yeah. Blue Streak. Yeah. yeah. Seeds by Sonic the Hedgehog. And like that Sonic's one? dad, was it Sonic's yeah. dad was kidnapped or this he got, like turned, into a, got <laughs> yeah, turned into it was a robot? It was like his robot grandpa size. or yeah. something. Yeah. And that's good. Yeah. Yeah, the hits keep on trying with <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> he was also Dr. Light on the Mega Man cartoon. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So we're three fucking nerds. <laughs> Uh, this episode also guest stars Peter Hudson as James Morton. So he's back. We obviously yeah. know who he is from the previous episode, The Hunters. Mm -hmm. Though he was never named in that episode. Oh, they, no, right. never. Yeah. his name in the credits, but they never say the name Horton. Nope. Yeah, yeah he's the mysterious man. Um, this episode also guest stars Kelly Oburn as Lynn Horton. 
uh, she's uh, Horton's um, daughter. And the only reason yeah. I bring her up is because she also was in the uh, movie Night Moves with Christopher Lambert right. yeah. and Diane Lane. Yeah. Uh, so check out that kind of noir mystery movie. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, that it is weird. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a movie about like a chess master who gets framed for murder. Night moves, get it? <laughs> this is so <Ugly>. boy. <laughs> also, a trend. She was on an episode of Silk Stockings, which comes up a lot, a lot, and I'm obsessed with it for some <laughs> reason. Um, she's also in an erotic thriller called Watch Me. Ooh, mm. sounds enticing. Sounds erotic. I'm thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, how, shall we read the IMDb episode description, which is always a treat? Yeah. Do it. All right. So, still grieving over Darius's death, Duncan tries to elicit the meaning of the numbers Darius left him. He meets Joe and learns about the Watchers, who records the facts about immortals, but never interferes. Joe insists the Watchers would never have killed Darius. Duncan recognizes Horton as his attempted killer, and their conflict pulls Joe between them. Uh, I guess we're done with the episode after that description, because <laughs> yeah, that Louise. did it all. <laughs> Who oh boy? What? Where did? <laughs> where does these? Where do these descriptions come from? Sometimes they're written by users, uh, so I know they're not official. But I love reading them anyway yeah. because that somehow makes them better. Yeah, yeah. it totally makes yeah. them better. Also, <laughs> that was like a summary. Yeah. yeah. So just to dive in, we should talk about the new opening sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Which, totally. Which you heard at the open of our episode as well. Yeah. This is great, and this is the one I remember from a kid, now that I think about it. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Like, he's in a weird, smoky alley. It's, like, blue. It kind of reminds me of shots from the movie, like the kurgan McLeod yeah. fight in the movie in the alley. But it's it's really nicely shot, and we have Joe Dawson narrating. It's worth noting, I was pretty critical of the opening crawl at the beginning. Crawl is a bit strong. <laughs> the, whatever you want to call the opening at the beginning of the first season, because it's so cryptic. Yeah. This, I feel like, strikes a good balance where, like, you have enough information to kind of bite in, but it doesn't, it's not too exhaustive. But still, he talks for about 40 seconds. This, yeah. I, I even know the new opening over. sequence is a minute and 20 seconds long. Like, this wow. is an opening, a long opening credits sequence to a show. Yeah. But this what? this has like mood and it's good. And yeah, Jim Burns does a good job reading this voiceover. Unlike, sorry, Adrian, <laughs> I was born four hundred years yeah. ago. <laughs> like where he's just trying to mumble core that Highlander origin out as fast as he can. Like yeah. Jim Burns is like he cannot die. It's like yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And so yeah, good. and it's good they got rid of all those the, the terminology like quickening is not mentioned. Like yeah. it's a little bit more g- generic. Like if I stumbled across this show and saw the opening, I definitely would stick around to be like, oh, what's this You'd about? Be like, because it's like yeah. again, it's shot really well. Like they shot some footage for the opening, Duncan walking down the the, the alley. But like, yeah. it's like, oh, he's been alive for centuries, mm-hmm. battling the forces of darkness. It's yeah. like, oh, that's interesting. Like, all right, like it's real. Like plain simple english and it's like with holy ground his only refuge so like they put it in the opening which i don't know if did they say that before no no because in i remember in season one something that bugged me a lot was they'd always say ah good thing we're meeting on holy ground so we can have a discussion right Whereas, <laughs> yeah they'd always tell you what they'd have doing. to set it up because yeah. like you can't assume that people know right. especially in the pre-hulu right. days right so it's it's interesting that they just stick it in the beginning maybe That'll be interesting to look for if they stop saying that. Stop so sprinkling it into the episodes right. themselves. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, I know I know the opening credits do change maybe one or two more times, but like because the one that always sticks out to the me to me is the one where Joe says, like, for four hundred years he's been a lover. Oh, <laughs> right. And that's even a longer wow. one. A wanderer. And like that's they a really great one. play it out. But this is good because it also it also sets up Duncan's character. It's like he was born 
a long time ago, and he's like a superhero, and he fights bad guy, like mm. bad immortals like him. They're evil immortals. He fights them. It's all kind of just. It's like a little bit. It's almost like workman like in the way it's like checking the boxes you need to know to right. to see this show, and it establishes the mood well. Yeah. Thumbs up, big improvement. Yeah, He's definitely. Good. And it has an awesome shot of Duncan doing like kung fu that yeah. cuts to an explosion. That, like he the qui- ki- it literally looks like he kicks a window into an explosion. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's fantastic editing. Uh, yeah, and the Queen music again fits even better with this opening than it did the last yeah. season. Like, despite there being less of it, like it's more compressed mm-hmm. in this, yeah. and like. Somehow it has a it has a bigger punch. Definitely, uh, well, I like the spooky like there's spooky like ambient music in the back of this. which yeah. I think is really cool. Yeah, there's like some chimes when yeah. like, it opens yeah. up. It's like yeah. it's, I like it's the eerie. chimes. It's cool. Reminds um, me of a porch. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, and also a testament I'll say to this opening is in the first season. Like I watched it. I remember I watched the gathering. I watched the opening credits, and then I just would skip ahead every yeah. subsequent episode until it changed. I watched those. Yeah, but I was always skipping the opening. This season, every episode I've watched i'm like now watch the opening credits again like because i'm just like it takes me on a cool ride and Mm -hmm. just to make a comment about like tv shows in general like i think everyone's like a little desperate to get content in like stories are really dense now on tv and there's a lot of like material they need to get into like 42 43 minutes and so you find a lot of like there's there's not a lot of opening credits anymore in movies at all. Like it's just like a title card. It's just like a yeah. title card and, and like, like a, a, a sound. It'll yeah, go like like long. Yeah, like Lost like a is a classic of... example. It just says Lost and goes. Like, <laughs> it's like oh okay, like and it does set up. I guess it it has its own kind of character, but like sure. I really kind of like the 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 ride a good opening credits takes you on. Like it's a great open it like it's it's a great way to start a show and also a testament like to the power of like music that it like it can really like put you in a mood to to like be like oh i'm like i'm gearing up to watch this story like and the music is part of what gets you in that that kind of mindset i think so i think that's anime really taps into that like the theme song is like part of the thing that Mm -hmm. makes it what it is Mm. and i kind of miss that too all i can think of is striking counter examples to that (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure what you're saying is true but I'm just not thinking of them. Well, <laughs> uh, like the Cowboy Bebop opening, for Okay, example. that's a great example. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Like I was thinking of Hedchala. I actually love that. <laughs> I have so that silly. song. It's, it's ridiculous. For, for those at home, that's the Dragon Ball Z theme. That's right. Very anyway. Good. Anyway. <laughs> so, the show opens up, and we open up in Paris. And we know this because there is about a minute-long opening establishing shot of just traffic in Paris. Yep. Yep. It's a little long, but we're in Paris. Traffic rewatched. That's right. <laughs> I think this is the same corridor that dude ran down while he was escaping being stabbed. Do you remember that? <laughs> no. Uh, I can't <laughs> remember the name. <laughs> in Band of Brothers, the French dude that's running oh, right, for right, refuge. Right. Like, yes. I'm pretty sure this is the same alley. I whatever. bet it is, yeah. yeah. We end up in, in the inside of a club. This is a crazy, like, punk rock. Yeah. I don't even want to say punk rock. Like, skin, well, skinheads like, in skinheads. here. Skinheads. Like, it's crazy. Rockers. And I guess Duncan, yeah. this is a spot Duncan likes to hang out. And he's hanging out there with Richie. And Richie's like, yeah, I can hang out here. Yeah, this, <laughs> this isn't bad. Like, and, like, I actually love this scene. Yeah. Uh, like, not necessarily its content, but, like, its, its mood. Yeah. Like, you really get to see Duncan struggling. This is probably... The most, the darkest moment we've seen Duncan in to this point in the series. Yeah, yeah he's like, just drinking himself like he's into like, oblivion. Like. like you don't really see him drink that much on the show as yeah. like modern day Duncan. He looks like sweaty and kind of disheveled, and he's in this like he has his grung- hair down. I think right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's just this like grungy spot, and like he just wants to 
bite some skinheads. Yeah. And he has, he just has like this thousand yard stare. And he's not really acknowledging Richie's talking to him. Right. But Richie's weirdly upbeat. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, well, so Richie's trying to be a... Be a know, pal. Be a pal. Yeah. He's trying to, you that know. usually happens when one friend is down, the other one gets to be chir- chirpy. What's cheer a him fr- up. What's a friend? <laughs> <laughs> what is friend? So the camera then dissolves into, I guess... Duncan's like gin and tonic or whatever yeah. he's drinking, uh, and we get a flashback to a, I guess a, like a, a montage of again. Darius again. And so this is a lot. So yeah, I have in my notes that this episode in some ways like almost feels like a a, a clip show, uh, a clip show, no. or like pilot two point or something. Yeah. You know what I was going to say? I felt like I felt this way about some of the other early episodes that we'll be talking about soon. I feel like they're a little bit padded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this You know what I mean? Like they yeah. blew the, they decided to blow their budget on making certain scenes look really good, and I think they succeed in that. Including in this episode, there's mm-hmm. some really good-looking things, but then they need to like stretch it cuz this is a very long flashback. With the, I actually like the, the dissolve though. Oh, oh yeah, it's a cool design. It goes from like the rotating ice into this thing, yeah. and it, yeah. like it works pretty well. So I was trying to think though, like I mean, again, like we have DVR and Hulu and all this well, stuff this today. Is before so, home video was like big, yeah. Well, I don't know, big, but I remember recording a lot of these shows on tape when I was younger. Yeah. But like, yeah, if you didn't tape this show, like there's probably a good like maybe eight months you had not seen the last episode. Yeah, um, unless you would maybe caught a rerun. So a lot of shows at this time would always kind of recap stuff because you could not watch it in the condensed time that we watch stuff today, like on Netflix. We just binge watch everything. Right. So I think they're trying their best to kind of recap some stuff. But it does feel yeah. a little padded. They could have done it probably quicker than this. Well, they're also... Yeah, they're, and it's like, also, like, what's wrong with, like, a previously on or yeah. something like that? Right. You know? But that I, still I takes know. up your, your, your airtime. time. Yeah. Yeah. But there are three... In this one flashback, there are, like, three or four flashbacks. We get, like, their first meeting, one of their chess games, and Duncan, no, like... And the scream? Not, yeah. You get the and scream, the scream again? The scream oh, in this episode happens twice. <laughs> yes, <y'all>. it does. <laughs> which is insane. Yeah, you'd think they would have saved that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's wacky, wacky shack. We end up flashing back to the present. Mm-hmm. Not before we get a sweet bass slide. <laughs> the music cue on this just... <laughs> so the, the... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay. okay. We need to talk about this transition. Yeah, we do. Remembered. Okay, so... It, the flashback ends, Darius has been murdered, and Duncan screams, Darius! And then it comes to the present, and there's just a bald man screaming in Duncan's face. Yep. <laughs> and I'm just like, what's happening? Why is this man doing this? And I mean, I guess he's he drunk, and he's in a punk club, but right. I'm like... He's a drunk skinhead. Yeah. <laughs> Insane. And Duncan isn't even acknowledging No, it, he's not faced at all. I was like, this is insane. <laughs> this needs to be on an endless loop. <laughs> but then Duncan decides he's, he's feeling feisty and says, yeah. quote, Hey, I'm talking to you, Conehead. Yeah. <laughs> Meldar. <laughs> <laughs> so Duncan ends up picking a fight with this skinhead dude. Well, the skinheads are picking on someone. They're picking on this dude, and I, I checked in the script. It, script. it says they're picking on an Arab busboy, and there's a broken glass on the ground, and in the script, they're trying to make him pick it up with his tongue. Ugh. So these guys are piece of they're shit. Bad guys. So like they're they're literally supposed to be like ultra like neo Nazis. Oh yeah. yeah. These guys are bad. And news. this they're kinda of just picking on him. Yeah. Like, they're not really they were they're teasing him and being jerks, but yeah. yeah, I actually wasn't convinced for a second that they weren't actually part of the same party and they're are just, just razzing this guy. Around? Yeah. Like uh. 
It's like definitely on the line of like it obviously looks like there's trouble and we're yeah. supposed to based on his reaction, we're supposed to believe it, but just pausing it's like in a vacuum, they might just be teasing this guy. Yeah. Right. So but, we find out from Richie that this is one week later after Darius has yeah. died. So not too much time has passed, and Duncan then decides he's gonna flip out and yeah. defend this young busboy. Yeah. So he goes over and loses his shit completely. And he's like, Yeah, fight me. <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a really dark turn for this character, yeah. too. Yeah. It's great though. It is honestly. Awesome. Like I kind of wish this was a little sustained. Like this episode, like this moment of darkness, like once he kind of gets down to business of trying to solve like when Mac takes the case, he seems like a lot more like the normal version of the character. Wouldn't mind just like exploring this dark Mac timeline yeah. for a little while. Mm-hmm. Especially since when we spoke to David Abramowitz during that interview, he kind of mentioned that one of his plans for the character, had Darius not died, would be to like let Mac explore some of this darkness a little bit, and if Darius be the voice kind of bringing him back. Definitely. So this was kind of tantalizing in that sense. It's like, oh, like Dark Mac could be compelling. Dark Mac. Dark Mac. That's actually my favorite McDonald's order. The Dark Mac? <laughs> all the dark, dark Mac. All the Dark Mac, please. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so then we leave this scene after Duncan has thoroughly beat the shit out of everybody yeah, in the bar. Yeah. Um, I left at the line, I'm going to kill you. And Max just goes, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, so Duncan and Tess are, I guess, back home. I'm not exactly sure. I, I guess I, are... I thought they were maybe the museum or something. I wasn't sure where they are because it's not the barge. Yeah. And so my only thing left was like, I guess they're... But they have all their boxes, but they're not in... Uh, yeah. I, so they're moving. They're, they're moving, moving right. from Paris. So they're, that's they're, a, I guess that's all we need to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so Duncan mentions that he has this theory that there was a number written on the in like the back of this Watcher Chronicle that he right. has from the previous episode, The Hunters. Yeah. And he thinks it's a zip code. From Seacouver. From Seacouver. And so he wants to go investigate this. And right. we'll talk about this in a minute, about yeah. how this... The zip code breaks down. But yep. Tess decides that she's going to go with him. Right. Uh, and so at this point, I was kind of, like, a little excited about Tess's character. I was like, good. Like, she doesn't want to be left alone. Like, she's she's taking some, like, taking a stand. She's like, no, I'm going to be part of this adventure with you. And I was right. like, great. This character is getting stronger. Very good. So anyway, then we cut to Seacouver. They arrive, and we get this montage of Duncan driving around. This reminded me of some early scenes in, uh, what was it? What was the episode? Family Tree? Where Richie's going not- around trying to find Mr. Stubbs. Oh, that, yeah. that episode, and also... And The Road Not Taken. The Road Not Taken, yeah. where Duncan is just randomly driving around yeah. looking for what he's looking for. Like, well, with scene, no plan. Yeah, this scene, he has a list of, I don't know what... Well, maybe he made a list of possible things so, that zip code can mean. Okay, right. so it's like, or zip in quotes zip code. So yeah, all right. First off, let's talk about <laughs> zip code. So this we've determined that Seacouver is in America. I think in season one they've mentioned like yeah. going stateside. Mm-hmm. I guess so. But they never explicitly. Well, no, Richie. I, do they say it's the? Do they ever say it's actually the United States? I don't. Are they think using? So. But Richie stateside has, is slang for North America. But Richie has all his American. He's got a lot he of American. All that American. He's, yeah. He's, he's Bandit Keith. Right, yeah. exactly. Not you, Keith. Matt. <laughs> well, uh, you're also a Bandit. Thank you. Uh, so, first off, in America, we don't have zip codes like this. It's not the right amount of numbers, right? Also, we don't have letters in our zip code. Like, this is not a zip code. Am I mistaken? Should we? What is the actual text of the... The actual text of the zip that he has is 20, 27 NJS. Nope. 
Yep, nope, that does not work. That <laughs> that's is not, not even not, close. That's not even close to a zip code. So then if he, we have any postal workers listening, <laughs> if we're wrong, let if us you're a know. Canadian postal worker, yeah. please yeah. let us know. Um, so he then has this list of possible places to check out in Seacouver. Yeah. And so let's break let's break down what this quote unquote zip code actually is. So twenty also, just to pause on the concept of zip code, it's like, oh, it could be in a multi mile mm-hmm. radius. Yeah. Like I guess in a city zip codes tend to be pretty small small because like you need multiple post offices well in philadelphia it's like every like four blocks i walk it's a new zip code like yeah right but if you're like in north dakota like i imagine they could be pretty big yeah yeah absolutely so it's like but this is not a very specific hint no yeah not at all yeah big or large or big or small this is completely unspecific yeah it's like oh it it might be like eight square blocks in my metropolitan area right so <laughs> and also, whatever happened to Master Macker's Master Hacker techniques? Oh, he can't yeah, just he type been... this in, and I don't know. Yeah, and he's... then masturbate. That's right. Uh... So he's got Sorry. this list that, that I like that. I that, like that. <laughs> that has things written on it like twenty-seven something. It'll be like twenty-seven North Jackson or twenty-seven New Johns, and it's Ooh, like New Johns. Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay, so. <laughs> the premise of this zip code is 27 is an address. Again, this is not how zip codes work. <laughs> NJ is the street, not New Jersey, which is the actual state abbreviation for New Jersey. Right. That there is a New Jersey street in Seacouver, apparently. I guess. Mm. So NJ is North Jackson or North Johns. And then or S, New Jersey. Yeah. And then S must stand for Seacouver. Like, what's I the, like, yeah. this is South. Cr- I don't, yeah. I don't, I, I don't understand at all what this means. This is this is the craziest thing in this episode, probably. <laughs> this is maybe the craziest thing that we've seen, period, in this show. That's a bit strong. It's just such a, it's just such a bad breadcrumb. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just, they had to have been able to do better. Anything like, else? Joe have, Dawson written in the book? I mean, anything. They could have just put an address. Or, yeah, put that bookstore. Or Who knows? Yeah. Like, oh, the bookstore. Maybe, that like, a card good. from the bookstore. Or yeah. Like a, it could have been just anything. anything. This well, also, there's this really long sequence of Duncan driving around, it's holding so this long. list. Then he gets out of the car, looks around, gets back, back in the car. <laughs> and goes, like, mm. Not that. Not that. And that happens like three or four times. Yeah, this is so long to be so you know, uninteresting. Like, if this was actually a mystery, I would be. I would be interested in the whole episode being yeah. the search for Joe. Essentially, yeah. like, how do we unravel this series of clues? That would be fine if it again was compelling in any way right. at all. But yeah, this is just him. This is again like meandering padding, around, padding. Yep. When he finally does get to this bookstore that we come to learn is run by Joe Dawson, mm-hmm. there's this great shot of joe is up on this kind of like balcony foyer kind of area and it's looking down as mac enters the shop and it's really cool i was into that shot totally and he comes across some clerk who as soon as he sees mcleod is like a deer in headlights <laughs> he's right like, bye, bye, bye. he's yeah. like handsome man <laughs> <laughs> at first i was like it took me a second to be like oh no no this guy's like a watcher right. i was like is, why is he so starstruck? <laughs> like, so, Who's this well-dressed man right? coming in? Oh, my. <laughs> so Joe ends up coming down and assists Duncan. And so Duncan presents him with this Watcher Chronicle. And he's right. like, oh, like, you know, what's the deal with this book? And Joe's like, oh, like, this looks like shit. So it's probably yeah. not worth much, but I want to buy it. But and he says it has beautiful illustrations. Right. So he I want to talk about this for a second. Go ahead. So this is... This, like, they show the illustrations in this book. I just did hand quotes. Do they? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, a little they, bit. Like they they show the pages, and they're like illuminated manuscript type pages. So Duncan treats this chronicle like <laughs> shit in this episode. <laughs> like, how old is this book supposed to be? Five hundred years old. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I think it's no, it's way more than five hundred years old. Like, it's from the the five hundreds, and that's why it's like an old Germanic right. Okay. So it's very old. So this yeah, is a it's very like old, super old. Like this is a very old, very valuable book that Duncan is carrying around in his hands. He's running through the streets with it. Later he stops a dart with it. <laughs> like he's treating this ancient like manuscript that has all this information about his people like garbage. He he like he, he like has it bent. And they're all handling it with their greasy hands. Yep. And I'm just like Yeah, like it, this this book would be in like a sealed light controlled airtight. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, where you have like, to wear those gloves to yeah. just handle the book. Yeah, right. like it would not be surprising to me that a book this old like and a like a manuscript of that age and quality would be worth in like the six plus figures. Even in its crummy condition, which or, yeah. honestly doesn't look like it's in the worst condition. Also, anymore. this book nobody on the planet except for the watchers knows this book exists. This is like one of the most rare artifacts ever. Ever. Right. <laughs> and Duncan just has it out. He like you know, is resting his coffee on it in the morning. So that just drove me crazy. But yeah, okay. <laughs> so Joe's interested in buying it, but uh, but Duncan is not. And there's a funny little bit of dialogue in the script, I thought, here. Like, Joe also is, in the script at least, uh, which they didn't film, is a little starstruck by Duncan. And Duncan's like, hey, like, what's going on? Oh, also, it should be noted that in the script, his name is Ian. Uh, oh. It's not Joe. They changed it. <laughs> um, but he's a little struck. And there's he's a more fun- of a Joe. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah, Joe's more the like he's an everyman sort of guy, which is good for the character. Yeah. Uh but Joe has a funny comment like Duncan makes some some remark about it. he's like what are you staring at? And he's like oh sorry, it's an ha- a habit. And I thought that was very funny because he's a watcher oh, and he's used to yeah. observing. That's good. Um so that was pretty good. But I've got some questions about this scene like Joe and his like little assistant there, Robert. Seem, Robert, right. Uh seem surprised to see Mac walk right. into their store. So how does watching work? Like nobody's watching so him. So Joe is supposed to be Duncan's watcher. watcher. Yeah. And so in in one scenario, I can see Joe Joe's supposed to follow Mac around, which seems difficult. Like had, like uprooting your life all the time to yeah. follow an immortal. So I could more practically see that like watchers have like territories, and he's like yeah. one of the Sea Coover operatives or whatever. How do they not know Mac is on his way? Like this seems crazy to me. Like no, nobody. Because at, at a later point in the show, Joe knows that Darius died. So a watcher recorded that, but didn't, like, mention that Duncan was, like, I don't know. I find it a little weird that no one knows what's kind of going on. Like, the watchers seem kind of inept about all this. Well, it's also got to be, like, the, it, the, the lines of this organization are never quite fully spelled out. Because they're right. not, like, a, a massive, like, they're not the Illuminati or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, Ooh, maybe they are. Oh, oh. They're not real. But uh, there's no reason to assume that this is, like, the most well-funded, like, super-secret organization, though they flirt with that from time to time. (laughs) But, like, it's got to be very difficult to... For private citizens to follow this person around all the time. Oh, I agree. Maybe they would have figured out that Duncan left. You Mm. know what I mean? Like, maybe they don't know he leaves immediately. Like, maybe they don't know Darius dies the minute he dies, but eventually they, they get to it and put the pieces together. I well, can other, see that. Yeah, the other thing about this is Horton is actively fucking with McLeod right now, so he might be suppressing this Ooh, information. Ooh, that's a good... Mm, I like that interpretation. Yeah. Look at that shit. Very yeah. good. So, 
uh, Duncan ends up leaving the store, and he goes to put his like glasses on. There's a weird glasses eye <laughs> shot. This is <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I, yeah, you're literally seeing the world through rose colored spectacles. Yeah, it's weird. Yep. Uh, so he puts on these glasses. He looks across the uh, the street. Oh, there's a building across the street called uh, Kenneth Gord Publications. Did anyone see that? Yep. Mm-hmm. Ah, which I thought was interesting because one of the producers mm-hmm. is Ken Gord, so they named a little set piece after him uh but by putting on these ruby glasses like cyclops he can now see lasers lasers like what is that what it was i think so no, like, i thought he just saw the sight on the book he sees that a second time like the oh. first time he puts it on he sees like the full laser like oh. like you know in movies when they blow smoke yeah and you can see like the length of a laser that's what oh, it I looks didn't like that. after he puts on these glasses so huh. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. And also, like, it's laser surveillance equipment. What, what is laser what? surveillance equipment? What I don't even know what that means. means. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It was just one of those things that someone thought sounded cool, so it's in yeah. this episode. Absolutely. So, like, d- why couldn't he just have noticed? Well, exactly. Like, like the book. Like, he sees the sight on the book or whatever. Well, then also or, he looks up to the window and sees somebody there looking at him. So, yeah. like, yeah, like, that's all you just, needed. He could have just gone outside and seen someone peering at him. And it's like, yeah. okay, like, someone's watching. Like, like yeah. Because he also, he's there suspecting people of watching him. <laughs> like, so then, like, he's, like, you know, suspicious, looks around and, like, sees someone with a camera. Yeah. That would have been fine. So yep. Duncan goes to investigate, and then mm-hmm. we get treated to this little bit of dialogue as the two goons that were watching him uh, emerge, I suppose. Not to mention an amazing MIDI soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> so these guys know they've been made by Mac. Made by Mac. Mac out? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> made by Mac. I, I've got that made in my by, shirt. Made yeah. by Mac. We're going to have a Mac out session. Mac <laughs> uh, Here it is. The MIDI. I'll take two. What? What? Aren't you selling something in the case? No. Oh, funny. I could have sworn that you were. I lost some. Yeah, no problem. No, but you see, there is. See, I promised the little lady some laser surveillance gear. <laughs> you know, so that she could keep an eye on the kids. Straight to punching. So this guy uh, tries to can't have kids, Mac. Karate him. So there's a karate chase. You never try to karate Mac. Yeah, you do not. So yeah, then there's a huge karate chase in which Mac gets clotheslined. Yes, he which runs is around the corner. I laughed out loud. This, this is yeah. so good, especially because there's essentially a POV shot yeah. from Mac's point of view of him just getting decked. Yep, he and again, gets this punched is... directly in the face <laughs> and like does like a flip. <laughs> It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, also, I just want to say more on this book. He's running after these guys with this book, like, clenched as tightly as he can have it in his hand. And then, like, when he gets punched, like, the book goes flying. <laughs> like, uh. Oh, also, as part of this uh, amazing chase scene, uh, when we see the two goons, like, fleeing the scene, they run by the camera. And there's some, like, ADR effects of, like, them running. And they're panting like crazy. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's a cartoon sound effects as they run by. And I will bring this up later because this is not the first time this happens in the show. Uh, so Duncan has this giant karate fight because, yep. as we know in the show, everybody is like a karate master. Mm-hmm. They way more stylized. Way more stylized. I don't know if that's a sentence. <laughs> they, the stylization of Mac's fighting style. God damn it. Try that a third time. <laughs> Mike's fighting style is way more stylized. Mike's fighting style, you said? <laughs> 
<laughs> Why can't I say this sentence? The way Mac fights <laughs> is way more stylized <laughs> in this season. Oh, totally. Yeah. And they way play up this kind of martial arts element to mm-hmm. this character. And I like it. I yeah, Sometimes it's a little cheesy in terms of like the unnecessarily unnecessary flourishes that are built into some of yeah. his moves. But it's at least interesting. They've at least leaned into this martial arts element to the character as opposed to just making it this weird subtle Right. Yeah. Thing. Duncan beats these goons and Joe approaches. And so then Joe explains what's going on. And this I, I have in my notes that this is like the some of the worst dial like I don't know if we should play any of this of this it's weird. Here, it's let's, let's let's listen this to is, this. This seems like <laughs> a, it's an outlier for his performance. Yeah. It, frankly. I'm so yeah. surprised. I probably know more about you than you know about yourself. Do you? I can tell you the time and place you became immortal. The time. The name of your first love. But that's not important. What is important is that you care about mortals, and you don't kill for pleasure. How about for revenge? For that, I'd have to be your enemy, and I'm not. Is that what you said to Darius? Darius. Darius. Great general who became a monk? I hope the immortal who killed him rots in hell. He was killed by a mortal. How do you know? Because he was beheaded on holy ground. No immortal would ever dare break that rule. If you knew so damn much about us, you'd know that. Okay, this dialogue... one, I agree with your assessment, Eamon, that uh, Horton is fudging the facts. Because I was wondering, like, how does he not know he was killed on Holy Ground? Yeah. Probably because Horton is messing with the Chronicles. Right. Which is good. This dialogue is ridiculous. Yeah. I think it sounds... This sounds like Joe Dawson is doing, like, uh, like dialogue for, like, Knights of the Old Republic. Like, some sort of, like, role-playing game. This feels like video game dialogue to me. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, thrown, like punched in. It feels, like, really choppy... It's not good. I feel Republic is a great game. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean to disparage that. That was the only RPG I could, like, pull right off. You could summon. (laughs) I could summon. But, yeah, this just feels, like, really clunky expositional. It doesn't match with the rest of his performance. And, side note, why is he telling him this? Uh Uh-uh. Why does he just come out and... Why did he... He had to like hobble all the way <laughs> yeah. to this thing yeah. just to, for no reason, just tell him everything. Also, you know, Mac, like, do you think he's going to torture these guys? Like, well, do you think he's going to try to get answers out of these people? I mean, is he going to, like, literally, is he going to beat them until they talk? No. He, the answer is obviously no. He's not going to do that. So, why does he just randomly spill the beans? I, I was questioning in the scene, are these people that Duncan beat up watchers or hunters? I think we find out later they're hunters, yeah. or it's implied. Do we? Because, like, why does Joe intervene on their... Well, I guess he doesn't know the difference at this point. Joe doesn't. Yeah. Well, as far as Joe's concerned, there are no hunters, but all hunters are also watchers. That's this is fair. also true. There also, how did Joe okay. know to follow Duncan out of the shop? Like, who who Well, knows? this happened right across the street, right? The yeah. confrontation I guess so. So guys. I guess he saw him. He probably was like peering over a book at this thing and was like oh, but joe's gonna... not supposed to know that these people are watching him yeah he doesn't know there's revealed later yeah this doesn't make sense really <laughs> i mean why couldn't i assume they would work in like teams or something well later right? duncan Cause, says like, you can't follow someone effectively by yourself right but later without being made I that's assume. true later duncan says to joe they weren't watching me they were watching you Interesting. but i don't know who knows yeah whatever <laughs> Rewatched. <laughs> hey, are you a Highlander fan in 1994? 
then you might be interested in the Highlander Screensaver. Your computer patiently awaits your commands, an eternity of patience. It deserves some excitement. Now, with your command, it becomes a warrior at the ready. Give it some muscle, give it the fury of the quickening, and the action of battle with the Blackbuster Highlander Screensaver. It morphs through hundreds of production stills from the Highlander movies and television series for Macintosh and Windows. $35. (laughs) I can't believe a screensaver was $35. $35. (laughs) That's a lot of dollars. I did own that at some point, but I don't remember paying for it. I feel like they gave that to me for free for buying something else. Wow. I don't know if anyone was willing to pay $35. Did it come for free with your Watcher Chronicle? Yeah, I think that came for free. Oh, no, I might have bought that one. No, I mean, you bought the Watcher Chronicles. I bought the Watcher Chronicles. And then they gave you And I think they gave me the screensaver to come with it. That's a deal. What a deal. (laughs) So we're back at the antique store, and we got Richie acting like a little bitch again. Because he's like, eh, I don't want to have to do all this stuff now. Like, I don't, why do we have to clean now? And it's like, his test is like making him clean the blinds and stuff. Oh, right. Oh, this is nuts. So, so awesome. Richie goes to clean the blinds, and somebody is, st- like, he, he opens, parts the blinds. And there's just that face. And someone's just staring right at him. So I was trying to imagine this from the other guy's point of view. Yeah. And I was like, hold on. Was somebody just standing, <laughs> like, <laughs> watching the blinds? Like, yeah, essentially staring at a wall for who knows how long this until. Man- Richie yeah. opened them up like what? Like this man takes like, his... a little window, like yeah. he was seeing like a little band of what was happening. I guess inside. it's crazy. It <laughs> must have been because otherwise he was literally just, be just doing staring what at nothingness. Well, he takes his watcher duties very uh, seriously. That's just a little interstitial scene. So we know at this point that Tess and Richie are getting the antique store back in shape, and I mm-hmm. want to talk about that later, but we'll get to that. Uh, so then we're back in the alley, and Joe is explaining what the purpose of the watchers is uh he's talking about how they record truth we reserve observe and record but never interfere this is the first time we get that what ends up becoming kind of the watcher mantra i suppose we'll learn so i want to talk about this for a second is abramowitz or whoever created the watchers a fantastic four fan because you have uatu the watcher and that's his credo. He has to watch Earth and record what happens there, but he can't interfere. Ooh. And that's in the in the Galactus trilogy. That's like the famous introduction to Galactus. Uatu, the Watcher, he interferes. He intercedes on Earth's behalf. So he breaks the Watcher rule. Oh. And I, I think it's interesting that the Watchers has the same exact credo as these Marvel Comics characters. That is really interesting. When was this established, if you know? Uh, the 70s. Okay, so it's back far enough. I knew Galactus was old, but... Yeah, yeah. Wow, so next time we talk to Mr. David Abramowitz, we'll have to ask him about the Fantastic (laughs) Four. My Marvel Kung Fu is dated, though, so somebody online might be able to educate me, but I know that... if it's post-90s, you're good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, excuse me, if it's pre-90s, you're good. Yeah, so that's interesting. So, uh, we're back at the antique store, and I want to play this clip of Richie helping unload boxes because mm-hmm. it's amazing because it's, it's the goddamn best <laughs> yeah yeah that's good that's good just like that just like that hey be careful with that these things don't bounce you know what i'm saying thank you right through there perfect thank you very much what, do you like this one? Uh, what is that uh, uh, i hate that one put that back in the truck richie what? What do you... oh, <laughs> i'm just kidding tessa <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. That voice. Wait a minute. I never noticed that before. I didn't notice before. it either. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? Wait, 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 w
that's that's amazing. So good. It's really good. This whole scene is crazy. And then this is also punctuated with Tess and Richie discovering someone is watching them. Mm -hmm. And did anyone get a weird vibe between I I am throughout the next couple episodes we, we end up watching. There is a weird chemistry between Tess and Richie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought they were going to start kissing when uh, she saw that somebody was watching them. Yeah. Because at one point, one of them grabs the other's face. Yeah. Happens as part of this scene. And then there's a little smooch. Small. Yeah. Yeah. He gives her, like, they the do pe- have a weird. It's a weird like, vibe. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Stan, about to get cursed. Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Cursing it. Yeah. <laughs> Gave her a little curse on the cheek. Well, this goes back to that mountain men where they're leaving the antique store and Richie has his shirt off. Yeah. Like walking her out of the car. Okay. Richie and Tess had a side thing going. That's my theory. So so our theory right now is that Richie is Tess's side piece. That's right. Yeah. That's a... Well, he's a virile young lover. We know know he's a virile young lover. Yeah. This is some Woody Allen shit. (laughs) Like, like oh, there's this little urchin we took in. Let me... Oh, soon ye. <laughs> good. Very good. <laughs> no, it's the what's the opposite of that? Bad? Very bad. Very bad. Uh, so Ooh. we then arrive at Joe's office, which mm-hmm. is back in the uh, I guess in the the, the, in, the bookstore in the bookstore, know. right? You know. uh, so he's brought Duncan back with him, and he is going to kind of explain a little further mm-hmm. stuff. So should we play this little clip and then talk about what's yeah. going on here in the office? Yeah. Kurgan. Now from 1453 to 1535, he was in Moscow. Then he went to the Scottish Highlands. Spent most of the 17th century in Italy. We had lost him until New York about eight years ago. Now your kinsman, Connor McLeod, he did us all a big favor when he got rid of him. Juicy. Yeah, so we just wrapped up talking about the movie, and here it is again. Yeah, I'm always hesitant to get too far into this, but this is the confirmation that they exist kind of in the same universe for now. It's a weird thing, because when we talked to David Abramowitz uh, in our interview episode, he mentioned, and again, he's involved heavily at this point, he mentioned that I always saw these things as two separate entities that weren't really connected, but this is a strong like connection to the two. Yeah, right. but they had to. He had no choice because Connor is in the pilot. Right. Well, they so didn't need we, to mention it again. <laughs> yeah. No, but Connor McCloud has to exist and have some role in this entire thing. So I guess this is the most innocuous way. Yeah. Is that the events of the movie happen, but they weren't the end of the game. Right. Well, the other thing is on his little computer screen, there are some names and events. So you have Ramirez on there, you have Cast Gear on there, you have. Fasil on there. Fasil's on there. Yeah. Uh, someone named Favlo Parucci. Oh, that uh, that the Kurgan came about came upon in 1663. Is there any explanation as to? Are they, is it just a list of names with no explanation? They say encounters, and then they say quickenings, and then there's sightings. Yeah. Mm. So which is which is what Joe talks about? He's like, oh, he was in Moscow, then he was in that. That's under the sightings category. Gotcha. One thing that I thought was weird, though, like this this list appears to be going in order of his quickening list. So we've got someone named Ivan Trotsky in 1472, and then someone named Juan. Oh, someone named Juan Sanchez Filler. <laughs> oh yeah, him. Of course. Who's that? Uh, in 1601. So like, it's like, oh well. Also, did. 
Did Kurgan not get a quickening between 1472 and 1601? Or did just no one see it? Hmm. Like, again, I don't know how many immortals exist. Yeah. And then also, especially back then with no advanced technology, yeah. you might just lose this person for a century. Right, right. Until you see someone else and then deduce that they're the same person that you've read stories about. Right. Uh, so then we get on to F- Favlo. Uh, in 1663, then we got Sundra Castigar. Sunda. Sunda. No, this is Sundra. I thought it was Sunda. Uh, whatever. I don't know, actually. And this also says Castig. Is it Castigar or Castigir? They say Castigir in the show. How do we looks- spell it? I don't know. I thought it was G I R. This is G A R. I thought it was I R too. Hmm. This is weird. Remember. Yeah. But then the thing that gets me is so it's Sundra Castigir in eight, uh, 1985 when the movie takes place but then after that it starts to type another name like another name appears yeah and it's not finished and it's someone named stosh oh. <laughs> which i thought he killed stosh commits right that's oh, oh, why actually, that's why he disappears oh actually we do know who it is because in the encounters list it says stosh basalic in 1525 huh is an encounter, but I guess the quickening didn't happen until after casting. Whatever, I don't know. Yeah. There's this mysterious Stosh character, but also it makes me wonder. Stosh is not a common name, right? Like someone must have been. Someone knows a Stosh, like, yeah. or yeah. their dog was named Stosh <laughs> uh, or something. Their yeah. dog. <laughs> the, it has to be. How Where's, can there be two Stosh references yeah. in the show? <laughs> also, under encounters, um, Castigir is listed under an encounter in like the 1700s. Mm. Uh, so uh, the Kurgan had met Castigir before. Yeah. Neat. Interesting stuff, guys. No young doll Kim? Nope, he was not mentioned. Huh. Yeah. I was also hoping we'd get maybe a, a, a little clue like who that Jersey guy was that we yeah. never know. It's like, oh, he could have been like just name dropped on here. Wouldn't that have been maybe funny? Maybe that's the guy that's listed. Maybe yeah. Stosh. Fobble. Or Fob- Stosh. Or Stosh. No, Fobble was in the 1600s. Maybe yeah. Stosh was mm. the uh, Jerseyite. <laughs> the Jersey beheading. <laughs> the Hoboken headsman. All right. We have talked about the movie for seven hours. and <laughs> We don't need it to be seven hours and five minutes or whatever we're talking about. <laughs> But it's a, it's a cool little tidbit. Yeah, I think it's fun. So Joe ends up showing Duncan around the office, and uh-huh. he's got, like, memorabilia yeah. uh, from like different immortals. a shot glass from Oki, who was <laughs> a weird cowboy or something. Right. Uh, but he also has an axe. Yeah. Which Duncan, of course, instantly recognizes, and then we get into flashback mode. And it's the it, it's like most the of the whole fight scene. Fight. Yeah. It's like even including the quickening, With, like yeah. everything. Caleb Cole's whole fight. And I guess it's no surprise they flashback to Caleb Cole's episode because it's another marie chantel droney yeah episode. she thinks she just was like oh i like this character right yeah. i mean i yeah. i don't i guess i don't mind seeing more of caleb cole but at the same he time he only gets one good line in yeah i'll take your woman and then you're quickening uh but of course then this made me think how does joe get this stupid axe out? somebody was nearby that's what he said but the police are there too like they didn't the, find that axe yeah Give me oh, that. I, I, want, I want that axe. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't find the axe. And so one of Joe's compatriots gets it. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Bye-bye. I'm watching this flashback again because I was just like, I was trying to look at something other than what we would have been talking about the first time. Because, by the way, we've seen this entire scene before. <laughs> uh, what is Tessa doing during this entire scene? At one point, apparently, I missed this the first time. She goes and gets like what looks like a machete. Yeah. yeah. She yeah. has a machete. Yeah. What the hell is happening? What is she doing in this Not scene? helping. Yeah, Nothing. She, she didn't help out. They nope. shot that and it just yeah. doesn't pay off. Nope. <laughs> But we do get to see more glistening Duncan, so that's good. That's good. So Joe says he's been tracking Duncan for 15 years, uh, but Duncan is under the impression that, like, 
you killed Darius. Like, because right. he's got the same tattoo. Like, you're part of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Joe denies it and doesn't right. know what he's talking about. Essentially, Joe has this entire trophy wall related to various immortal items. And one of the things, he is a staff from a, an immortal who was some kind of Native American medicine man of some kind until he was killed by a cavalry officer as part of the game. And Max says, I know. Yeah. Like, he's familiar with this. And we've also had flashbacks in the past, actually, in the very first episode. Right. Where Mac was staying with some Native American tribe and right. maybe has a connection here. So it's just this interesting little thread that's dropped that maybe will be picked up in the future. We'll yeah, that'd be nice. if it does. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so then the, the doorbell rings. So Joe leaves the office and uh, to see who's coming into the store. And at this point, if you wondered what kind of store this was, it's like Duncan brings a rare book that is probably worth a lot of money. And not just bringing it to see what it's like. He's assuming that whoever's running this store has is an authority on rare books. So I assumed it's like, oh, this must be an antique book dealer, a rare book dealer. There are about like 10 Donald Duck comic books like, like hanging on the wall. And I was like, what kind of bookstore is this? <laughs> like, I mean, I'm no authority on Donald Duck comics. <laughs> I'm kidding. I well, am. But there's beautiful, man. <laughs> yeah. the, the beautiful illustrations in the Donald Duck. <laughs> well, the, the, mm. this is a, as a very rare Donald Duck illustration where he's wearing pants. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, <laughs> Donald Duck is the Duck comics of Carl Barks. They're, they're kind of famous to comic nerds in America, but the Carl Barks Duck comics are supremely famous in Europe. And they're like, he's... Basically, Disney didn't really create Donald Duck, or if he did, he just created Donald Duck and this guy, Carl Barks, who's a famous comics illustrator. Uh, he kind of expanded the whole universe. He created Uncle Scrooge, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Um, so in other countries, these Duck comics are like really famous and respected. Wow. It's kind of crazy, but... <laughs> Are they are they worth a lot of money? I take uh, it. I don't know. Maybe like the original printings are. The other thing is, Barks wasn't really credited in these comics. It was only until later. Um, but yeah, it, they have like a day in I think Belgium or something that's like Donald Duck Day. Like wow, the Duck comics in other countries are really famous. So that's just a nerdy little wow. Tidbit. Donald Duck rewatched. That's yeah. right. So Joe comes out to see a young woman and his assistant just macking it hard. And I'm That's just right. like, Ugh, like it's like full on tongue. And I, I, I like we talk about this a lot. Like we are constantly grossed out <laughs> by people kissing and like having sex. Like what is wrong with us? <laughs> I again, I thought this was gross. I'm like, why are we watching this? Gross is a bit strong, but it's intense. I don't need to see this dude put his tongue in this girl's mouth and like <laughs> flick it around. <laughs> So this weird makeout session <laughs> progress, and there's a weird. This is where I first noticed that there's like a weird dichotomy in the music in this episode. There's a lot of like really cheesy, kind of goofy MIDI music. It honestly sounds a lot like that. <laughs> like that is not too far off the mark. Like in the clip we just played, and then there's also these guitar cues that are clearly a real person playing guitar, and just it's night and day. It just sounds <laughs> so much better. But like there's this weird guitar cue when he discovers them necking yeah. yeah and it's it's her or it's joe's niece right making and, out with this robert guy right so we, we end up finding out in this scene that uh her dad is actually the one who owns the store it's not joe's store it's mm. 
her dad's her store. Dad's store right. um, and she's just graduated from college. Right. Uh, she's got a degree. In the script, we find out it's an art degree, Ooh. which I thought was actually kind of interesting. I was like, oh, are they trying to set up a parallel with her and Tess? No, it's, it's just an art degree. Hmm. But we find out that she's going to throw a party, or her dad's throwing a party later for her graduation, and Joe should come, because mm-hmm. that's when you invite people the day of. Yep, that's right. <laughs> and Mac hears this. And stores he, it away for later. Exactly. Well, he um, is a party animal. <laughs> <laughs> well, we learned that in that episode with Gabriel Patone. I have the right. holder. He's a real party animal. Nutcase. Yeah. Uh, God's so, chosen nutcase. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's from Archangel. Nope. What's it called? Avenging Angel? Avenging, Avenging Angel. Angel. Yikes. X-Men, Archangel. Zeist. <laughs> uh, so we cut from here back to the antique store. And... Um, and Richie decides it would be a great time to commit some vehicular homicide. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Richie gets in this moving truck, which I yeah. guess the movers didn't drive there because they've left. Like, I don't know who those people were. but uh, So I just assumed he stole a moving van. Yeah. He stole their moving van for and a second. And so he drives it into this person that's been watching them the whole time. He drives yep. it into his car and, I guess, pins him there. Yeah, and then Tess rolls by in her convertible and he jumps in and they make a getaway yep so this is the craziest thing uh richie definitely could have killed this person <laughs> yep and he's like reasoning for it he's like well if i'm right great and if i'm wrong the insurance pays for it it's like no either way you're in so much trouble <laughs> like, that's al- not how this works he's already a fugitive from france from his arson attempt <laughs> his arson that's attempt. right his yeah. handgun thing that he yeah. was carrying when he was trying to for stealing a cop's attempt, gun yeah. stealing a cop's gun attempted murder of gabriel patone Richie, Arson, yeah. Richie yeah. is a, a serial convict. It's yeah. insane. Two attempted murders. <laughs> so when Richie and Tess drive away, Richie gives this amazing speech about like what's going on and how he's, <laughs> he's trying to like piece together these puzzle, this puzzle. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. So let's play this clip. It's awesome. This is just great. Just great. I mean, he's there. They're there. We're here. Nobody's anywhere. Do you ever think of running for Congress? I don't get the Congress thing. This is the second time they've made this joke. Yeah, they're yeah. always like, laying like around. crapping oh, on. Oh, what are you uh, running for Congress? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess they they don't have a a soft spot for the government. Uh, but I guess that it's Congress like he's traditionally has very low approval ratings. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I guess that it's the fact that he's mm-hmm. like talking in circles or like he's sa- he's saying a lot of words that don't make any sense. I think that's the joke. Yeah, though I suppose further evidence that they're in the United States. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right, because Canada right. has a parliament. Very, Very good. good. Jinx. <laughs> so crazy. Uh, so then we get to the bingo hall, and so Tess is trying to get a hold <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Mac, uh, but he's not there. Um, yeah. And so then she just kind of wants to wait around for whatever's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, I was getting a little disappointed in Tess, because at the beginning of the episode, I was like, oh, she's like becoming a strong character. Not quite the person we've seen in the last season, but I feel like she quickly degenerates into kind of just the damsel in distress. She's kind of a naysayer about everything. Like, she just becomes this foil to, like, blech things up. Like, I don't know. I'm not... I I wish she, again, took just a lot lot more, like, agency and did some stuff. But instead, she's like, we'll just wait for him. He's the hero. 
It's like, why don't you go look for them? Why don't you figure out what's going on? Like, which just made them feel irrelevant. Yes. Yeah. Like they kept on like cutting back to them for no reason. Yeah, because we'll find out later in this episode that uh, do Rich, Richie, and Tess do anything in this episode? Nope. nope. Not a Negative. thing. They could have not been in this episode, and it wouldn't have mattered really at all. So yeah. we would have missed a lot of sweet dialogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Side note. Yeah. Does Tessa have better chemistry with Richie than with Adrian Paul? Yep. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, because even in these scenes, like, they just have pretty good chemistry. Yeah. Well, it's because they have, like, fun dialogue. And we still, I think, have a Duncan that is not too much fun with Tess. Yeah. Like, oh, you want some coffee? I'll have some coffee. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Coffee, coffee. Like, he, he's still a, a very serious character. Like, at least with her. Like, he's more fun. He had more fun in the alley with the the, uh, the two goons than he typically does with Tess. Like, yeah. it's it's really somber with her all the time. Like, what? Oh, more fun with her? <laughs> more fun in the alley? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had a gay reading of uh, Highlander the movie. Yep. Mm. Duncan was cruising for some S. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So we get another karate fight. Back at the the antique store. Oh, yeah. And Duncan breaks, throws the dude through a window. He's like, great, another window. Yeah. But let's talk. I just want to mention the book again. This somebody, is the book. Yeah. yeah. Somebody shoots a dart at Duncan, like a Which, tranquilizer dart. Really? Yeah. Why not a gun? Yeah. <laughs> and then Duncan... Your, stop- your goal is to behead this man. Why do you care about tranking him? Yeah. And Duncan stops it with the Fifth Chronicle. Again, the ancient illuminated manuscript book that is worth probably just for the information contained there alone it's a priceless record and duncan uses it as you know a protection shield a shield Shield. so i wanted to bring up this antique store and packing from paris thing again like wait i i never got the impression when they left seacouver in the middle of season one that they were like closing the antique shop like they, I guess, packed up everything and carted it to Paris for who knows what reason. Like, they stored it there, maybe? I was thinking And then this. repacked it all and brought it back? Like, if they were going to close the store, like, they could just close Sell it. Sell everything? Yeah, or, I mean, like, they could just put it in storage in Seacouver. Like, I'm, assume, I'm just not honestly, sure what's going on. I assume that's what they did. I assumed that they were moving it out of storage back From Seacouver? Yeah. Uh, so these are different boxes. I, I guess I was thinking that scene in the beginning when they're packing up boxes in a weird, unnamed place, that that was the antiques they were packing up. I just assumed that was them, like... I agree that it kind of invites you to make that conclusion, but that makes no sense. I think what makes sense yep. <laughs> what makes sense is they were just generically packing up to go back to Seacouver because they have personal belongings and it makes sense to transport them in packages in boxes. And then, is that what you do with Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> so like a box is like a cube. It's usually made out of cardboard. Sometimes it's made out of plastic. You put your effects in it. And then you go places? Sometimes. Okay. Or sometimes you leave them. Or sometimes you move them to a storage unit so you can go somewhere <laughs> without them. Sorry. This is a sci-fi fantasy show. Sometimes it's hard for me to buy into the reality of the situation. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see that movie Cube? Oh, oh shit. With uh, J- Jennifer Lopez? Is she in that? Wait. What, what's Is that the Cube? The cube is where they're in like a torture sci-fi. Yeah, it's, like yeah, an, exp- yeah. it's an experiment. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, that's an absurd movie. Very good. Not as absurd as Hypercube. But I've never seen either. Actually. Cube like upset me. Yeah. I got upset because they all like get horribly mutilated. Ugh. I saw it when I was a kid, but I was like <laughs> pretty pretty freaked out by it. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it since I was like thirteen. I didn't like it either. <laughs> Watch Cube, everybody. Cube <laughs> rewatched. So right. after this. Intense karate fight at the antique shop. Yeah. Uh, Duncan then goes to follow Joe. Uh, right. So he follows him to what we find out is the, the Viva Tower, uh, where Horton lives. 
Um, so Duncan goes into the uh, the cocktail party, and mm-hmm. it turns out we'll find out that Horton is Lynn's dad. Right. Uh, and so if we didn't need evidence for Horton being an asshole, because like obviously in the last episode he killed Darius, right. he tortured Fitz. I don't see any of Lynn's friends here at this party. So, like, yeah. what a shitty dad. <laughs> like, he, it's just a bunch of old people. Like, yeah. he didn't invite any of her friends. Like, mm. he, he's a, a douche on multiple levels here. Yep. And he, he and Joe are talking in the balcony, and Max, like, looking at all the family pictures and sees Horton. So then we get a flashback since he sees Horton. Uh, and we then get to recount the entire scene from the hunters episode but we get to see pirate duncan again that's That's true true. (laughs) yeah where he cuts a taser wire with his gigantic sword that's like tucked away and we also get to see duncan yell darius again yeah i laughed out loud when that got like (laughs) smashed i did too because it just feels so abrupt you're like whoa yeah (laughs) duncan back in the present is throwing some serious shade horton's way Mm -hmm. like they're shaking hands and it's like tense it's so tense. The yeah. dialogue is fairly well done. Sure. But Duncan's like, oh, actually, my friend was killed. And Horton just says, these things do happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what a horrible thing to say. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So then Duncan proceeds to punch, like, attempt to punch Horton's He, like, does not weird, like, karate punch, though. It's like with his palm or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> right in his face. Yep. <laughs> yeah, uh, Horton's nose is definitely smashed to pieces yeah. at this point. Uh, so they break up the fight, and then his daughter, Lynn, has, I thought, like a completely level-headed reaction to this. She's like, guys, come on, like, what was that all about? Yeah. And it's like, what do you mean, what was all that all about? Like, kick this guy out. Like, yeah. He just he's, punched your dad. This stranger just punched your dad. Yeah, it's yeah. like, he's done. Like, it just goes back to kind of normal after that. I yeah. don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bonkers. So this scene made me very optimistic in a certain way, and it doesn't I wasn't quite rewarded for that optimism. Because <laughs> one of the problems we had in The Hunters with Horton's character is he's like a little too evil to be sympathetic. Right. He's like too obviously relishing in like torturing fits and like commanding his like army of hunter stormtroopers to like right. be really sympathetic, despite having what I think is a fairly interesting moral point. Mm-hmm. that like mortals might have an interest in interrupting the game right but it's like setting up he has a family maybe there's more to this guy yeah like this yeah. is a real opportunity to show and joe kind of speaks up on his behalf yeah like a real opportunity to show that this is a real human character who might actually be a pretty good good but misguided guy yeah definitely but, Later in this episode, it just doesn't pan out. Nope. As we'll get into soon. I well, as you, as you just mentioned, yeah. So his philosophy in the next scene, it's uh, later. I guess the party's over, and Robert arrives. Uh, he, mm-hmm. I guess, didn't attend the party because he was tending to the wounded hunter that duncan had put in the hospital well robert's one of the hunters that attacks duncan i don't know if we said that. oh yeah. that's right yes yeah. and, that is and duncan sees him and lets him go right, right. and seeing robert was the c- clue that led him to this party right uh but also duncan letting robert go it's what makes robert like ch- have a change of heart right so he approaches horton and is curious if maybe they're misguided in this attempt like maybe they're not all bad but then we get some interesting stuff from horton horton says like it's not it doesn't matter if they're good or bad it's about them control like being like overlords and we shouldn't have that which i think is again a compelling argument yeah they will fight for the right to rule us right yeah and the right to party (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) sorry i can't stand it i know you planned it (laughs) uh 
But Horton won't hear any of this. So what does Horton do, Eamon? Horton tosses. Horton somehow tosses Robert off the balcony. Yeah, and it's like. Robert turns around. Well, he manages to do it because he throws a dummy off. Yeah, the he, yeah, he throws a dummy off. But he like Horton just like leans into the screen, and immediately Robert's body slash a dummy just flies off the balcony. And I'm like, he doesn't put up a struggle or like anything. Maybe it, just it was just a one sharp shove from behind. Yeah, yeah. It, I laughed out loud at this scene. <laughs> and also, I just wanted to say this: Horton, his acting reminds me of Kevin McDonald from The Kids in the <laughs> his mannerisms i'm gonna put a picture up on facebook definitely so how, what have you thought of horton this season i know last episode you mentioned that like eh, you weren't too sold on him do you think i think he's, he's better. any better i or? think he's better okay yeah I, I think the quality of both the the writing and the acting is higher yeah. in this episode I, I i could tolerate him a lot more in this episode <laughs> Interesting. Uh, i got think, that droney touch that's right yeah well it's just like I buy him now. I didn't buy him in that last episode. Like, he didn't seem authoritative to me. It seemed like, I don't, I don't know. It just, well, they all just seemed like a team of geeks that had guns. Yeah, but in this, in this, I buy him a little more. After this, Richie and Tess are still camped out mm-hmm. at the bingo hall. Right. Uh, and Richie, I guess, has fallen asleep in the car. Did they, did they sleep there overnight? Yeah, I, guess? I think yeah. so. And so let's play this little bit of dialogue because Richie gets awoken. Awoken? Awakened. By Tess, and he uh, recounts a little story from his past. It's amazing. The Force Awoken. The Force Awoke. <laughs> yeah. uh, Stay woke. Oh, <laughs> I think I dozed off for a minute. What time is it? Morning. I've been calling all night. Mac hasn't come home. Oh. <laughs> oh. This has been the crummiest night of my entire life. The crummiest night? Except maybe the prom with Mary Ellen Nowicki. She got wasted on lemon gin, puked all over the lady's can. I'm going back to the store. (laughs) (laughs) So, I can't believe either of those two things are the worst nights of your life. Yeah. How are either of those two things the worst nights of your life? You live a very dangerous life where (laughs) where your best friend is often involved in killing other hyper dangerous evil people and you've been kidnapped several times (laughs) several times and like the worst thing in your life is sleeping in the back of a car and your prom date (laughs) like unless when he said like over the lady's can he meant an individual woman's can (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah (laughs) also his friend was murdered in one episode that's right it's like he was like king kong on angel dust in that that's that's right his his other his other friend betrayed him <laughs> like to an immortal, like a lot of stuff. Yeah, Richie. Oh, but then I don't have the clip of this. After this, then Tess does get a little gumption. Yeah, and she's like, "We're gonna like find Mac and we're gonna take care of this." And she like lays out her plan. And again, there's some weird sexual energy. Like, yep. Richie climbs in the front seat, and he seems like visibly like aroused about <laughs> like like that Tess is like excited to like you know like get into action he's like oh yeah yeah like we'll do that like he's wide-eyed and ready to go (laughs) that's gross (laughs) and he has a boner (laughs) cut that out (laughs) kyle are you running for congress fun story i am actually oh so are you here are you there are you everywhere actually everyone's nowhere (laughs) 
Oh, okay. Well, where you should be is on iTunes, giving us a five-star review. Like, when you unpack that line a little bit, it's actually a little deep. No one's anywhere. That's true. <laughs> Richie, the philosopher. The, yeah. the idiot philosopher. The idiot philosopher. <laughs> you know, he's really just capturing the fact that we're all sitting on a mode of dust suspended in space, just hurtling around an endless void at like 32,000 miles per hour. So, Richie, just destroying all our illusions and for that we thank you we thank you and to give our lives meaning we can rate podcasts in our free time so head on over to apple and rate our podcast with a nice five-star review yeah five contemplating stars. the void combat that with a five-star review yeah who <laughs> yeah, wants to live forever back at hot rod's place and i only say hot rod because i keep forgetting my autocorrect on my computer keeps correcting my notes <laughs> to hot rod from horton which is amazing <laughs> uh so we're back at hot rod's place and he's confront or comforting uh his daughter lynn mm-hmm. and this is crazy to me like lynn is like oh i can't believe robert killed himself i told him yesterday we, we, we i didn't want to go to lunch with him yeah that's why he killed himself it's like lynn you <laughs> stuck up like <laughs> really do you think that's like you're that important he was like oh like i didn't go to lunch with her i'm gonna kill myself <laughs> Like what? Are you kidding me? That's pretty Wait, pretty crazy. Didn't she want to go to lunch with him, but he said he had something important to do? Oh, and, and that's and then he she yelled, Oh, I'm not important. Like, yeah. And uh, then he killed himself because yeah. of that. This is crazy. Yep. Uh but I, I don't know. I thought it was funny. <laughs> and then it was like, no, he just had something to drink and took a misstep. Right. <laughs> something like Very good ridiculous. No, <laughs> uh, but Horton gets a phone call from Duncan. That's right. Uh, I guess Max found out his whereabouts. Well, his I guess he knew it. He got his number. Phone number. Uh, so Duncan wants to meet him on Wharf 3 that night and kind of end all this. Uh, but Lynn has been eavesdropping. Uh-oh. Ooh. So... Then we're on Wharf 3, and what happens? Well, Horton just feels like he's a doctor watching a cancer grow, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he has an axe and a gun. And Joe is there. Yeah. yeah. Which, to me, I was like, why is Joe there? And why doesn't Joe... Horton asked Joe, like, hey, how are you here? Like, yeah. did, did Horton call him about this for, like, backup? Like, I don't understand why Joe is there. If- well, I think Mac told him. I'm assuming this is like to prove to Joe that Horton's a no good. Well, what what I would have liked to have seen was like Joe hiding out. Yeah. And Mac confronting Horton and being like Horton having to spill the beans about what he's been doing. And then Joe could have emerged and like saved the day. Do we hear Mac on the phone calling Horton? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely Horton or Mac calling Horton. Okay. Yeah. It's confusing. It is very weird. Also, he's going to chop his head off with an axe. <laughs> also, they're in like a big room with like full of tools, and Joe sees the axe and it's like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> I'm like, "That axe could be there for any reason. There are right tools now, all over the place." I disagree. That's like a fireman's axe. That's like for breaking down a door to rescue a person. Like that does not belong anywhere except <laughs> a firehouse i i felt like it was out of place i felt like they chose that specifically because it needed to be something you could call out yeah short of it being a sword sure like, that would have worked too i guess but. so uh we do find out actually in the script this was not filmed that uh joe makes mention that uh he's like you're ruining your father's life's work and mine so we find out that this is like a job that's like passed down i guess like horton's dad is a watcher or was huh. 
a watcher, which I thought was an interesting little tidbit that they yeah. got out. Anyway, Duncan confronts Horton, and yeah. and there's a sniper that yeah, Duncan, Duncan like Batman's his way through yeah. like these goons, uh, right. <laughs> which is yeah, yeah, which is pretty good. Duncan decides to let Horton go, and then Horton just instantly shoots Duncan. It's yeah, like, smart move, Duncan. I love the scene right before that, like that leads up to this. It's really good because tell like, us about it. They kind of have their confrontation, and they're like Mac gets the drop on Horton. And, like, has Horton's own gun to Horton's face and is, like, gonna make him shoot himself. Right. But both Joe and the daughter are there and intercede on Horton's behalf. Right. right. And, like, the, the daughter is really screaming, trying to save her dad, and, like, Mac lightens up. But just speaking to this kind of dark turn this character took, I was like, ooh, Mac could plug him right now. Like, this could dark. be that and be awesome. But it also gave him a reason to... To not stain his hands. Right. right. And after that, after being shown mercy, yeah. Horton shoots him in the back as he's walking away. Right. Yep. So as retaliation for this, Duncan stabs Horton in the gut. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, for Darius. For Darius. And then Lynn's like, why? And it's like, because he just shot him. <laughs> Did you miss that? Yeah. yeah. So Duncan ends up like collapsing and he quote dies. unquote dies. Right. Uh, so when he wakes up, like everyone is gone. So yep. they just like left him there. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty good. Yeah. So it's Thanks, like, let's guys. get out of here. But they yeah. also, I guess, take Horton's body. Right. So it's yeah. like, okay, where are they going with that? Huh. I was a little surprised by the way this played out because I was not expecting Horton to die at this point. Like, you know, they had an excuse to let him live another day, so to speak, but they still had it erupt into this physical confrontation. Right. So, you know, that was interesting. We'll see how that plays out. Definitely. One side note, is this the first time we've ever seen, like, a bl- Duncan have a bloody sword? Oh, oh. maybe. Because they have a very clear shot after Duncan stabs him. His sword is covered in blood. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think might be that true. Might be yeah, so. they, they steer away from that frequently. Hmm. Yeah. I can't recall seeing any blood on this show. Is that yeah. wrong? Not much. Yeah. yeah. We've seen some blood like on Duncan, I think, but mm. it's not a lot. Yeah. Mm. Definitely bloody sword. Just throwing it out huh. there. So Duncan visits Joe's office mm-hmm. and like clicks around on the computer and I guess his master hacking skills don't cut it. Right. Because all the files, all the files are, are gone. gone. Which I guess makes sense because Joe put in a floppy disk before he did it anyway. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, as you do. But like it also this scene had like a weird implication, like they've abandoned this place. And it's mm-hmm. like it's still isn't this still Joe's sto- like the store? Like yeah. I, I don't know exactly what's been abandoned. Because also I might be misremembering I feel like they return to this location uh, eventually in some later episodes, but I could be wrong. Uh, and then we cut to the streets, and we've got this amazing Richie dialogue. He's like, wow, secret societies, immortal sword fights. Wow, gee whiz. Like, <laughs> uh, And there's like people with balloons behind them. Mm-hmm. Like, It's a super cheery ending. Yeah. Uh, but then it takes a dark turn. So a couple walks by holding hands, and then the camera zooms in on their face, and they both turn around to look at Mac. Richie and Tess, and they look very angry. <laughs> and the guy has a watcher symbol on mm. his so tattooed on his wrist. Right. So is this like a watcher couple? Are they yeah, both maybe. looking at him? Or maybe it's just him. I don't know. Because he sure. like stops and his girlfriend's still holding his hand. And I'm like, wouldn't you notice this guy? Like, I feel like both turned around to look. I could yeah. be wrong. I they think... could just be responding to each other. Yeah. <laughs> if look you were with there. a girl who like you were holding hands with who stopped and like turned to gawk at somebody. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> look at that idiot man child. <laughs> turn around. Richie's so, going to the circus. Wee! That's right. I can't I believe Richie. I'm going to the circus. <laughs> yeah. So that's this episode. The Watchers. So really good introduction of the Watchers. Really yeah. good. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoy the introduction of Joe Dawson. He's a 
big component of the show. Also enjoy the introduction of guitar music that <laughs> permeates <laughs> the <laughs> show. <laughs> and just is so much of such a higher quality to like the electronic crap and the that makes it the rest of the music. Beep, boop, 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 boop. That's right. Beep, boop, 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 boop. Bloop. A lot of filler in this episode. Yeah. Like a and lot. The episodes to come too, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. It's I, weird. I think they my guess is it was budgetary problems. Like they didn't budget properly for all these scenes. Which is strange because typically when they make shows like the open the usually the earlier episodes have a bigger budget than the end. Like yeah. because like they budget for so much, but then stuff ends up running a little over budget. So right. the the opening episodes tend to have more, more money behind them. There's some definite padding. I think you could cut twenty minutes out of this. Alright, so let's That's talk about this. Aggressive. I don't know about that. <laughs> let's but. let's talk about two things. So if we had to Highlander rewrite this episode what would we change about it? So Tess and Richie would have to accomplish something. Absolutely. They, yeah. There's too much of like a buddy cop story between the two of them. Like w- that moment where they resolve to act, they need to be the ones who figure out where Horton actually is. I was going to say. Like, like they feed Duncan that information. Duncan somehow. should be like investigating Joe. They should be investigating Horton. And at the end, the two kind of come together and they all meet. And it's like, oh, this is what the mystery is. Like it's all connected. That would be good. So I think that's what the ingredient they could have brought. And Richie and Tess could have actually just made out. Yeah. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, No. Cut uh, that out. Less flashbacks, please. Yeah. I would have also maybe appreciated, like, even a little bit more. Like, we're used to long-form storytelling, I think, now, just generally in our television. Like, season-long arcs about a lot of stuff or a couple episode arcs. Like, I guess I could have appreciated this Watcher doling out what the Watchers are. Over three episodes, like I could see this being like a little mini series thing, like because mm. I think the the mystery component to this could be good, apart from like a bizarre like zip code. Like yeah. if this was an actual mystery to solve, getting into it might be kind of fun. You know what was another ingredient like the that was kind of lacking talking about it being a mystery because duncan actually doesn't figure it out it's handed to him yeah joe just tells him everything yeah yeah i would have appreciated if like he knows something's up with joe like he picks up on the fact that joe's keen to buy this book that the assistant's reaction to him was weird and maybe duncan does a little after hours research and like breaks into joe's office or something or maybe he and richie buddy cop it because richie's the thief and then he sees Caleb Cole's axe. Mm-hmm. Or, like, Duncan is the one who tells the story about that medicine man's stick. Like, oh, right. I know what this is. And that's how he, like, that's part of the tying the whole thing together. Totally. Know. Why don't we hear a little bit from David Abramowitz? Why don't we hear a little uh, from David Abramowitz and Bill Panzer about this episode? Hi, I'm David Abramowitz. I was the, um, what was I? I guess they called me creative consultant or executive creative consultant. I was a supervising producer in the first year. I was the creative consultant and the executive creative consultant. I got confused myself, but most of the time I was in charge of the writing. Hi, I'm Bill Panzer with my partner, Peter Davis. I produced the Highlander movies. Uh, we got involved in the Highlander TV series. It was probably the best six years of my life. So starting the second season was kind of an exciting moment. It was a mess, actually, if you really want to know the truth. I know, but look, we had Michael York, who wanted to play Joe Dawson. We had David McCallum, who wanted to play Joe Dawson, who we met with. Yeah. But we cast Jim Burns to play Joe Dawson. He had a certain quality that was um, just more real, more earthy than the other two. And he had a, you know, he had a decent uh, TV cue from Wise Guy. He was an interesting guy. He'd come from St. Louis. He'd moved to Canada. He had done two tours in Vietnam. No, Jim was great. I mean, I just thought that um, he brought a lot of depth to the role. He, you know, he had his own 
he had his own trials to live through in his life being handicapped and um, he was a wonderful actor but more than an actor he was a great presence on the screen originally conceived um, the character was more studious more tight was a much tighter uh, personality but um, which is why we looked at David McCallan and Michael York but we really made the best choice for the series um, he, he was one of the fan favorites throughout all the years that we did the show. And we got a chance to introduce the Watchers, a fascinating subculture existing around the immortal world, and the first time that we did something that was an extension of the movies. This was something that was never conceived of in the movies. It was a, a Highlander television original and became a, a fascinating subtext for us. Yeah. You know, as I remember, you and uh, Marla brought that idea to the party, and I just expanded on it a little bit, and I thought it was a great idea, because it enabled us to bring in a human perspective into the show that wasn't there before. So it wasn't just about immortals and their battles, it was about Watchers. And what was most interesting about that was that it gave the audience, the audience actually took part. They could identify with the Watchers. They could identify with, with, it's hard to identify with someone who's immortal sometimes and live for 800 or 1,000 or 500 years. But a watcher was just a normal human being. And so the audience could find themselves saying, um, I could be that guy. And I think Joe uh, became every man of the show. He became the audience in a big way. Grab was the first guy who, the first watcher that we dealt with who sort of started to step over the line a little bit that was the separation between the Watchers and the Immortals and didn't just observe, didn't just record, occasionally chose a side and started to yeah, he had a start to help. He had a definite rooting interest. He had an agenda, absolutely. Right, and his agenda was uh, that Duncan McLeod of the Clan McLeod should be the one um, because he believed that he was not only a great fighter but had a righteous soul and he was right. You wanna know by now. You wanna know by now. Welcome to Mac Attack. <laughs> segment where we discuss what we learned from Mac in this episode. Mac Daddy, the master macker. So what did we learn this episode from Mac? Priceless books are worthless. <laughs> That's right. And they're good shields. <laughs> I learned that if you let someone go, they will shoot you in the back. Yeah, never let anyone go <laughs> is the moral of the story. And don't run around tight corners or you're going to get punched in the face. On the topic of face punching, it's totally kosher to crash someone's party and then punch the host in the face. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there are apparently no consequences. No one will call the cops. Nope. Even the guy's daughter will be like, hey, what's going on here? What's up with that? What's up with that? <laughs> Lynn Horton. <laughs> What's the matter with you? In all this time that you've been with me, haven't you learned anything, yeah, anything, yeah? Welcome to our newest segment, What You Don't Do. do, 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 do. What You Don't Do. The lessons of Richie Ryan. <laughs> so what have we learned from Richie in this episode? So what you don't do is you don't go to prom with Becky and have her drink a bunch of lemon gin and puke all over the can, because that is a bad time. You don't want to have a bad time at prom. What is lemon gin? I don't know. I guess I'm, it's just I, gin infused with lemon. I don't know. I feel like I've seen a lot of flavored vodka with like whipped cream and Swedish fish and all that garbage, but <laughs> I've never seen <laughs> lemon gin. What you don't do is leave your girlfriend alone with Stan Kirsch for too long. <laughs> <laughs> Mac. This is really more of a lesson for Mac yeah, than for right. Richie, but Richie's the one teaching it. <laughs> yeah. 
What you don't do is go to prom with Richie. Oh, that's the that's the real lesson. <laughs> Sick burn. We should do this more often. So, guys, do you have any uh, final thoughts on this episode? I dug it. I think it's setting a good tone for this season. Yeah, this made me really excited to jump back into the show and for the second season. A little disappointed that, at least ostensibly, Horton has been dispatched at this moment. Right. Um, that's a, that was a, seemed like a little bit of a missed opportunity to me, but I am optimistic for the future, and we've had a lot of new additions to the series that are great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, for the most part, enjoyed this episode. Like, I, I kind of actually thought it was a little disappointing for me, personally. Is uh, it because of the padding? The padding didn't help, and also, like... The I hadn't Paddington seen this. Bear. Yeah, I hadn't seen this episode in a while, so I came into it like really like jazzed up. That explains all the jazz hands you've been doing during this episode constantly, uh, and the tuxedo and tap shoes I'm wearing. Um, but <laughs> unfortunately, you can't hear the taps with this carpet. But yeah. Uh, so anyway, I was really excited to see this episode because it was introducing the Watchers. But I guess in my head, it was a little different, especially because when when you get really into like what the Watchers are in the show, it's like really fleshed out. Uh, so it's just an introduction to them. And this episode did have kind of a lot of heavy lifting to do. Like, it's trying to reintrodu- like introduce this. It's trying to reintroduce a lot of other characters, too. Um, so I think it gets the job done. I guess I wish it just maybe explored some of the themes more, or especially had, like, the mystery element a little more. Because uh, I felt like we were just kind of bouncing around from one thing to another and just being told information. Um, so it was just a little bit of a letdown. I think there was a lot of good stuff, though that comes out of this episode so i'm excited about that all in all i'll give it an a definitely watch it it's a good one yeah yeah uh so we we obviously had some good thoughts about this episode um every once in a while i'll I'll go looking on the internet to find some like reviews of episodes so i just want to take this opportunity to, to read a review word for word of this episode again mind you listeners out there i am reading this word for word the opening in the bar the fight you know mac was just itching to let off steam and richie stopping him before mac really kills well mainly one of the others has given up mac my plane leaves in tess mine too love their relationship just wishing av wanted to leave hadn't wanted to leave the series guess she wanted to be home more and do other things the driving looking for finding of joe dawson welcoming jb into highlander with a relationship of many great times and a few very bad times well on the show on the way the richie crashing into the (laughs) (laughs) excuse me this is serious uh the Richie crashing into car with Bad Watcher with Tess and do like their dialogue of Richie just saying, we're here, they're there. And Tess, ever think of running for Congress? Tess awake all night on payphone looking for Mac. Richie snoring. Tess has had it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The poor daughter, Lynn, to have a dad like Horton. Her fiancé works with him, yet has no prob killing him, thus hurting daughter more. Glad she finds out. The party where Joe finally knows he's working with a bad guy, who is his bro-in-law. Joe trying to save day by meeting Horton. Of course, Matt comes and again shows he, he's more... He, and again shows he more human than Horton. <laughs> though does end up running him through with sword after he shot and Horton came, coming at him with axe. We left to think he dead, but... And all has gone of what Joe shows shares with Mac. <laughs> that one sounds like a beat poem. <laughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> and all has gone of what Joe shows shares with Mac. And the last with two new watchers. Uh, good? We never really know. Do love the last walk with Richie coming up behind Mac and Tess. All three smiling. 
was a bit slow in parts. Gave seven, as was okay. Might have been 6.5, but they don't have a point part as an option. What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So I think that really gives us... I mean, I know we've spent almost two hours talking about this episode. I think that really gives us... That wraps it up. That wraps it up. (laughs) Say no more. We've been your rewatchers. I'm Kyle. I'm Keith. Amen. (laughs) Bye. You don't go to the prom with... What's her name? <laughs> Becky Ann Bittaker? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go with that. Becky Ann Bittaker. Bittaker. <laughs>